Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast of the Fires of Revival podcast. I am your host, Colton Prater, and I pray today's episode will be a help and an encouragement to you. Please don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast with others. And now for the episode. We'll be looking here at Luke chapter 14, so if you have your Bible, and if you're in a way where you can, I'd I'd encourage you to get it out or put it up on your phone and read along with me because we're going to read a few verses here, and I believe it'll be a help to us. Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. And the title of this message is The Great Supper. And we're going to look here at some things that God wants us to know from Luke 14. And I'll begin reading here verses 16 through 24. It says, so keep in mind, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's giving a parable here to the multitude. And he says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So he gives the parable there, Christ does. He's teaching the group of people there that are listening to him. And it gives an illustration. It really is an illustration of what soul winning is and witnessing and sharing the gospel is. And in this story, he, he sends this this master sends his servant out, and he says, "You know what? Go out. I'm having a, 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 a excuse me a supper, and go out and bring in the multitudes, invite the people, tell them to come in. We're going to have it at this day and time." And these servants go out, and he invites these three men, and they each give an excuse. And if you look at those excuses, they're pictures of different things. For sake of time, we won't look at that. And I would encourage you in your own time to study that out for yourself and see kind of what they mean to us. They each signify. Three different types of excuses that people give when it comes to turning their way to Christ and accepting his free gift of salvation. And he gives out the invitations. They turn them down. He goes back to the master. And then the master says, you know what? Go out. And I'll read the verse. He says, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. He says, you know what? Go out and get the downcast of society, those that society does not care about, those that society looks down upon. And invite them to my supper. And he goes out and they begin to come and fill up the house. And he says, and yet there is room. So there's still room. People are coming in. He says, and go out and invite more. And get more to come in and more to come in. And fill up my house so the supper can be full. And it's a picture of witnessing. that We're going to keep witnessing and keep sharing the gospel. And we're going to see here some application for us here in this day and age that we're living in. From this account 2,000 years ago that Christ tells. And, and if you were to sum up this thing into, I guess, one gist, if you will, one thing, it, it basically would be our job as Christians. And actually, if you remember anything about this, I don't know, I did a podcast episode entitled The Job Description of a Christian from this text. And we're looking at it a second time here. And I don't encourage you to go back and listen to that other one. It's about a year ago when I recorded it. So go back to about a year in the archives and you could find it there. And listen to that episode as I teach on the same thing, uh, you know, our job description as Christians. But they were going to look at the great supper that is coming. As I said, you know, our job as Christians is to compel them to come in. And it's, it's our one job. Yes, we have other jobs. You could say, but if you were to sum up into one thing, our job is to simply witness. 
And when Christ left the earth in Acts chapter 1, we find that he left us with one task, and that is world evangelism. That is to see the world come to Christ, the world be saved. That is our one mission, our one goal. Because there's a great supper coming one day. One day Christ is going to come and return, and he's going to take his bride away, take those that are saved, and bring them to heaven with him. And in the tribulation period, all that's going to take place afterwards, all those that are lost that are on the earth. But one day Christ is coming. We don't know when. He's coming to take his bride away for that great supper. And us as Christians must be busy proclaiming that message and inviting everyone. Yes, people are going to turn us down like the three men who gave the excuses in the beginning of the text. But we must still give out the message because that great day is coming. We don't know when. It could be in five minutes. It could be in 50 years. It could be in 500 years. It could be in a month. It could be in a week. We do not know when it could happen. It says that we're not going to know the day nor the hour according to Scripture. So, But we must be ready at all times. I think it's pretty unique. If you look in the Gospels, Christ even tells them when he's alive on earth that the end is near, that the end times are coming, and that they're already here. And that was 2,000 years ago. He told them to look and be ready for Christ's return. And if he told them 2,000 years ago to be ready, imagine how much more how much more ready we need to be now as Christians, knowing that 2,000 years have passed since he said that, meaning he could come literally in any given day, at any given moment, at any given month, at any given year, and it could be right now. And we must be busy telling people about Christ because we never know when that last day, that last breath we're going to breathe and the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to rise and we're going to go to heaven and there are going to be all the lost people left here on earth. So we have to be busy preparing the way, busy proclaiming the message. As I said, our one job in the Christian life is to be a witness. And a question I want to ask you all as listeners is what are we doing to accomplish that? What are you doing as your part to accomplish that great commission that we are all commanded to do in Scripture? We found it in Matthew, we found it in Mark, and Luke, and John, and Acts. You find it given five times in slightly different angles. And if it's given five times, it's going to be extremely... If anything is given once in Scripture, it's important. But if it's repeated twice, or three, or four, or five times, that, that's added importance. Meaning, if it's mentioned five times, in pretty much the same way, but just a little bit different in each time, then that means God is trying to emphasize something. He's emphasizing it through repetition, meaning if he's repeating himself, then he especially wants us to follow this command. So if he wants us to do it, and he's emphasized it that many times, then he expects us to follow that command of the Great Commission. So the question is, what are we doing to accomplish that? And I want you, as this episode is going on and playing in your car or in your headphones or wherever it is you're listening, I want you to ponder and think for a moment, what are you doing? What are you doing to reach that? As Christians, we're all called to be missionaries. That doesn't mean we're going to go overseas. That could just mean you know reaching your neighbor or you know the employer or that person at the fast food restaurant or the, the gas station or the grocery or the church or in your bus route or in the nursing home or your Bible club. Whatever the case is, we are compelled to be missionaries and share the gospel where we are at with those we are with. So the question is, what are we doing to accomplish that? So we're all commanded to go ourselves and give the gospel. We're all commanded to give towards world evangelism so that those that can go overseas, if we can't, can then share the gospel with those that are over there in those countries that are never heard before. We're commanded in Scripture, according to Matthew chapter 9, we are commanded to pray for world evangelism. And those are three things that we can do. The question is, what are we doing in those three areas? Are we going? Are we praying? And are we giving? And how much of that are you doing in your life? Because we're supposed to do it, but are we obeying it? And when I say that, I'm not just saying to preach to you guys. I'm saying this at myself, and this convicts me. And this is something that I wrestle with personally as well, is what am I doing in those three areas to accomplish the one goal that we have as Christians? The one job we were given when Christ left this earth was to evangelize the world, to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Here recently I've been reading a book, and it's been very challenging to me, and it's really convicted my heart in this area of missions and witnessing. And it's by a man named uh, Oswald J. Smith. He pastored the uh, People's Church in Toronto, Canada, uh, back in the 1900s, and he was a big proponent for missions. He actually was known as the uh, father of faith promised missions, and many churches have that today. He actually is the one who helped coin that term and helped really put that into practice and really show us what that is. And he was really the one who pioneered a way for that, for churches to do that, and has since revolutionized missions giving in the churches worldwide. And in that book that he wrote called The Challenge of Missions, he makes some statements. I just want to read a couple of these statements to you all and just share with you what they mean to me. One of the statements in this book he said was, he said, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. I want you to think, in the last couple of weeks at your church, how many times you have heard the gospel given? Yes, you may be saved, but how many times have you heard it in a church service? You know, heard it on a gospel, saw it on a gospel track, heard it on a radio broadcast, I'm not sure wherever it is you'd hear it. But how many times have you heard it in the last month, the last two months, the last year? And then think, that there, and, and remind yourself of this, that there are people across the world who have never heard. Who You say the name Jesus, they don't know who that is. You mention Christ on the cross, they have no idea what you're talking about. You mention a Bible even, and they still have no clue what you are talking about. They're lost and are com- confused and have never heard that before. Yet we hear those terms all the time. We hear salvation is, you know, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's, you know, not of works as any man should boast. We are the plan of salvation, if you will, given all the time in church and in gospel tracts. Yet we need to remind ourselves that there are people that have never heard. We've heard. I know I've heard the gospel probably hundreds of times in my life. And there are still people in this world who have yet to hear it a single time. And just how convicting that is as Christians when we realize and recognize that simple fact that we've heard it hundreds of times, yet there are people that are still have yet to hear it once. Another statement he made in this book, he said, Any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. He said the one aim and goal of the church is to win souls. He said if a church is not doing that, then they're not a church. He said if this church is not actively fulfilling the Great Commission and witnessing and sharing the gospel and sending people across the globe and trying to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, then they have forfeited, they have given up their right to be called a church. And, you know, think of the church that you're a part of, that you're an active member in. And, you know, according to this, this is true, and I believe it is, that if your church, mine included, you know, decides to quit giving the gospel, then we have forfeited our right to call ourselves a church, to call ourselves that called-out assembly that we think we are. And only those that are giving the gospel can be called that. And I'm reminded of another statement he said, this one's more of a paraphrase, but in the book he was talking, he said, that a church must, he said, a church can't say they care for missions if they're not spending more in missions than any other area in the budget. At his church in the 1940s and 50s there at the People's Church, he said that they, he gave a figure, and he said they were able to send over half a million, which this is back then, so this means this is worth a lot more than it is today, or now than it was then. But he said they sent over $500,000, so half a million dollars to missions that the year they wrote the book. He said they only spent about 100000 on their own, his personal salary and the upkeeps of the building and to pay for his assistance and all the other bills of the church there locally. He said $100,000 covered everything locally in the church, all the salaries, the bills of the church, the upkeep, you know, the grounds and all that. And they said they spent $500,000 in missions. So their missions budget was five times that of the next highest expense, which was the church itself. And that was only 100000 
And he said a church can't say they care for missions if they're not spending more on missions than they are anywhere else in their budget. He said if they spend more on themselves than they do on world evangelism, they cannot make the claim that they care for missions. He said because if they truly did, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. And the conviction in that statement as well, you know, we try to say we care for missions and we want to see the world saved, but do we really? Are we willing for the sacrifice to see that happen, to see world evangelism happen, to see God's mission for us, that co-mission that he expects us to get on board with, to share the gospel? The Great Commission, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Are we fulfilling that mission that God has given us? Then I just want to close with one simple verse here. Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 36, well-known verse. Uh, I've preached on it before in the podcast and taught on it before. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, uh, as well as another familiar verse or passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 are very familiar. But we want to focus on verse 36 here, which says, referring to Christ, but when he saw the multitude, uh, sorry, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus Christ said he saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion on them. And we have a multitude of people around us, thousands and millions and billions of people all around us. But do we see the need? Are we moved with compassion like we are commanded to in Scripture? Like Christ, the great example, gave to us there in Matthew chapter 9. Are we moved with compassion? Are we trying to our best to fulfill the Great Commission? Are we trying our best to live for God and witness and see the lost saved? Are we doing our best to, to pray for world evangelism? Are we doing our best to give to that cause? So the question is simply I want to ask you guys is, for this great supper, this time when Christ is going to come and take his bride away, are we doing our part? Are we preparing the way? Are we giving the gospel? Are we seeing souls saved? Are we doing what we are commanded to do in fulfilling the great commissions? So that's just simply what this message is about, is just the great supper is coming one day, and our job is to compel them to come in. And the question for each of us is, are we doing our part? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity for me to record this broadcast and just for the electronic abilities and technology allowing me to do so. And I ask that you help each and every listener today to take this episode and apply it to their own lives and get more on fire for world evangelism and missions and just take it more seriously, Father, and recognize that each and every person listening today is a missionary, whether overseas or down the street. We are all called to be a missionary for you spreading the gospel. Help us all to realize and recognize that and follow that through. In our Son's name, amen.